everyone. I'm Larissa Russell of Creative You, and I'm your host of the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Here's where we talk about the connection between creativity and healing by interviewing amazing creatives, spectacular healers, and inspiring people who have used creativity in their healing. What does it mean to be creative? What is creativity? You don't have to write a best-selling book or paint a masterpiece or even play in a rock band. Creativity is in everything that we do, in the ways we think, in the way we run a business, in our everyday lives, we are creative all the time. Let's talk about how we are creative and how creativity helps us heal mentally, physically, and emotionally, right now on the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. So today I'm with uh, Jody Aberdeen, who's a writer, storyteller, and professional ghostwriter. He's the indie author of the sci-fi romance novel Convergence, the novella Gone Lost, and the upcoming story Last Variations of Paris. He's also a former logistics professional, call center concierge, government employee, bookstore worker, one-time commercial actor, and 30-year-old frat boy, the good kind. Jody is also the host of the Ghostwriter and Pup podcast, frequently recorded from his home in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, with his pup Bella frequently at his side. So welcome, Jody. Hey, thank you, Larissa. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm quite excited to um, talk to you. I did like because you sent such a brief little. I, I, I often go off on tangents, just so you know that. We'll edit those out. My assistant knows me by now. So, so, so. Do I. Yeah, so do I. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, your bio was actually quite short that you sent me. Um, mm. So I kind of looked you up, and then it was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And yeah, so can you, um, Jordi, can you share some of your story and your path with us? Uh, well, uh, getting to where I'm at, I mean, um, the 30-year-old frat boy is a bit of a gag. I'm actually 39, uh, but I, I'm on the advisory board for my old chapter. That's it. Uh, but uh, it's been a interesting. I think, um, I guess the best way to sum it up is that I recently uh, came to the understanding that you can have multiple lifetimes within the same life. And that's basically been true of my experience. So um, I'll try to give you an all-encompassing but yet quick history. So um, I was born in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, but came to Canada uh, as a baby, pretty suburban upbringing in uh, Brampton, Ontario. Ended up, uh, you know, I went to university, went to McMaster, did history and English. You know, I lived with um, my high school girlfriend for the longest time. We got married and then got divorced. And uh, somewhere along the way, I realized that with all the different jobs, all the different career paths and interests that I'd had come my way, writing was the thing that was really constant. And so finding a way to make a living from that uh, has been an interesting journey um, in addition to dealing with just life happening in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I turned 39 just this past October and, you know, that brings about some reflection because 40 is just right, right there and we make it such a big deal out of it. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, you know, um, with everything that I've been through, which includes, you know, things like divorce, uh, job loss, figuring things out, making a, a freelance career working, you know, work. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but, you know, I, I look around where I'm living now and just how things are going. And I'm in, I'm living the life um, that I had previously fantasized about when I was basically stuck in traffic, going to some job I hated and uh, just in, 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 a, in a relationship that was great, but was starting to fail. And, you know, that's, uh, things are turning around in a lot of ways. So, um, and I've learned every, every step of the way, at least I hope I have, and I still got a long way to go. I think the learning part is the most important part. 
Yeah. If you look at it as learning lessons, then it just makes it so much easier to be <laughs> all those hardships that you've had to go through. Like, yeah. I was learning something, building the new me. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful reframe for what could otherwise be really traumatic experiences if you're not careful. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So what does healing with creativity mean to you? It means, uh, well, similar to that, it's not, we talked about, you know, just jumping off from that concept of a reframe. It's, it's alchemy. And, and, you know, I, I, I really try to put it simply, but, and, and avoid overly flowerly language, but there's no um, way about it, I think. You're transmuting something that happened to you and creating something good and possibly beautiful out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, whatever your medium happens to be, whether it, whether you write, you paint, you draw, you act, or you sing, uh, whatever, or you, you know you you know you you build engines or you build buildings, you create something from that, right? You run marathons. That's what it means to me. It's um, it's a form of making something beautiful out of something really horrible. Yeah. Um, and in the process of doing that, you kind of patch up your wounds um, or at the very least, you know, just stop the bleeding. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it, I, I think too, we, I don't want to overburden the point or maybe just think that it's, you just write one book and then you're totally healed. It's not like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's still messy, but it's not as messy and you, you've done something positive from it. So that's uh off the top of my head, that's, uh, that's, what, that's what it comes down to, I think, for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So do you think there's a driving force that inspires you? And if so, can you explain that? Uh, pleasure. Uh, and, and that's a recent understanding. Um, so uh, in September, I took a trip uh, for one week to Paris, France, and uh, was on my bucket list, I saw an opportunity to go, and I took it. And uh, that's really what it comes down to. You know, truth be told, all the, th all the things that I've done, I can hustle, I can work really hard. But the fact of the matter is by nature, I'm, I'm what we would call lazy in this culture, in, in this hustle culture of entrepreneurship. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not about what I do. It, it, putting it in a bio is, is one thing, right? Uh, so that people can get where I'm coming from. They have a connecting point. But uh, pleasure is a driving force. And so really uh, that includes the creative side of things. And it includes uh, making your life. And by pleasure, I mean uh, food, good food, good company, great drink, very Epicurean, um, for lack of a better word, description of what it's like. In addition to making that experience possible for other people, whether it's how you vote, whether it's how you spend your money, um, who you advocate for, who you help out in a charitable way. So that's, that's really become a driving force. You know, uh, storytelling ought to be, and it used to be long ago, just this, um, you would get paid for doing that, or at least you get sustained by the, by the community for the stories that you would tell, the lessons that you would share. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think with 2019 going into 2020, the economic realities of living, being alive in this era means that you got to find a way to, to monetize that. But I think it was maybe, you know, a Greek city state somewhere in our history. It's people sitting around eating, you know, just nice food that was grown in your area, listening to somebody talk and, and finding something there and finding catharsis and finding healing. I mean, um, that's, that's something that really appeals to me. I, I, I hope someday all of us end up back there somehow as a society, but for now, um, that's really, I hope that answers your question. That's, that's really like, um, 
that is my driving force in what I do. Yeah. If I'm really, if I'm really being authentic about it. No, and that, yeah, I love that. And, and I, I think you'll find pockets of, of people that are moving back that way. Um, I don't know about the whole <laughs> of society, mm -hmm. uh, especially here in North America, but uh, I think you'll find the pockets are getting larger and larger. Yeah. And I, I think we're realizing, definitely, I think we're, we're starting to question what it is that we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that my, um, the story I'd, um, I'd shared with you that I wanted, you know, that, that really led to me writing my novel, sort of segueing into that. Um, it was a divorce story. Um, and I think part of what led to the failure of that relationship was not being real with myself about what it is I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so not arranging my life that way and realizing that the partner I had was incompatible with that. Yeah. So um, pleasure is not just hedonism. It's, it, it, it's a lot of, it, it requires a lot of thoughtfulness and contemplation about what it is you really want and a lot of soul searching, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we've touched on this a little bit, but how yeah. has your past pain informed your life purpose? And how do you specifically want to contribute to life? Um, I've had two phases of past pain. Um, so the first was figuring out what the, what the heck it was I, I was supposed to do with my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in uh, my father. Uh, he's retired. I mean, both my parents are retired now, but he, he worked in logistics for the longest time. He's, he's a hard worker. He's done. He's had a lot of different. He's worn a lot of different hats the same way I did. Ended up doing actually. Um, he's trained as a mechanic and uh, in Trinidad. Came up here, worked uh, at assembly lines, building gasoline pumps for a while. Got a real estate license. Practiced that for a bit. When the recession hit in the '80s, he delivered pizzas to keep us going. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then ended up in the logistics world. So he's very much in that working type of mentality. Same with my mom. Uh, worked in the bank in Trinidad for a while, and then um, worked part time at the library, balancing her time between you know the kids and mm -hmm. and uh, and her work. So she worked the same job for three decades and retired with a pension. So that's the paradigm I was in. So when you grow up in that, you think this is the model of how it's supposed to be. This is the blueprint. Yeah. So um, I graduated in two thousand and four with an arts degree, thinking, um, and and mine was the last generation, I think that still had the, uh, we still were raised under the assumption that once you have an undergraduate degree, you could write your own ticket in life and everything is, ba you know, just basically all of the fortune and fame and everything's coming towards you and employers just trip over themselves to hire you and that was mm -hmm. not true. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if it ever was true, but regardless, that wasn't my experience. So it's a bit of a shock where the expectations of what you were going into in life, working mm -hmm. life, um, did not line up with what your training both academic and, you know, mentally or expectation wise, uh, had prepared you for. So, um, I had worked, um, my dad had helped me get my first job, um, at, you know, working in the warehouse for a major, the number one retailer. I don't know if I can say their name here, but, uh, the number one retailer in the world, uh, where they have everyday low prices, put it that way. And so, uh, working in that type of warehouse where efficiency is key because that's where cost savings are, you know, uh, it, it was great. It was lucrative. I paid my tuition. I had I have no student debt at all. It was wonderful. Um, but what was I going to do? I graduated. I have, um, I have a history and English degree. So I have this awareness, this dim general awareness of where everything has been and where I fit into it. And, there was nothing I was going to be able to do with that except maybe teach or write. But um, 
I also, I, I didn't assume that you can make money with writing. I, I had um, figured that you, it was like winning the lottery. You know, uh, you, you think of, I think of Stephen King, you know, was basically a janitor for the longest time. And uh, when his books got published and then that's the archetype of what we think of as literary success. So I, I dismissed it. So I ended up working jobs thinking, so I, I did what I thought I had to do. I applied for jobs like all through 2005. I had to work something that wasn't the job that I worked in high school and university. Um, I had to get myself out there. I had to put on nice clothes and uncomfortable pants and sit in traffic. And in, in, in the greater Toronto area, we have the worst traffic uh, in some of the worst traffic anywhere. You, you could sit and try, you, you could basically sit for two hours trying to get to a job that's only maybe 35 kilometers from your house. And so it's, it's silly. Um, so I, I did that for a few years and I was go to the employers and, and realize that, you know, it's a whole new ball game uh, than what I expected. And um, what drove me in 2005, if I recall correctly, um, were the, were, were, I wanted to live in a condo. So I was living, uh, for context, my ex and I were living together in a student apartment, mm. fairly run down, but you're a student and you can basically say, you know, you, you can put up with a lot when you're an undergrad because um, it's expected, right? You're, you're, you don't, you're not going to be here forever. Yeah. But, but we were there for a few years after we graduated and kind of, you know, dingy run down, but it was still home. But we kind of dreamed of nicer place, nice things, um, a community where you had a pool on site or, or something or a little gym in the basement. And you had all these, so I looked at the brochures for condos and I saw all these, uh, you know, these, these uh, drawings of happy people, uh, seemingly successful, rich looking, coming home from work. There's some of them are carrying briefcases and then relaxing with a glass of wine. It was being a grown up is what it looked like. And that's what it represented to those condos. So I realized that was the goal I set for a while was to live in, in one of those, like now I think they're awful looking condos, right? Um, in the uh, outside, you know, in, in the suburbs of Toronto. So uh, I hustled, I worked, I found a job um, that I thought was really going to pay. I, I signed up for employment agencies and they took me to one place after another, after another. And I realized a couple of things. One, math was more of a requirement than the job. They just assumed you knew things about math and finance that I had, I didn't. Um, second, and so they, they were willing to train you, but it was a bit steep learning curve. Second thing, the pay was, uh, when I did the math finally, the pay would not pay would not support a uh, a condo. I'd have to be some type of management for that, which meant a, a number of years working for a payoff that was really rooted in a building, right? And and third, I had a few experiences where the bosses were awful. Um, they were we would call it abusive. I think call it what it is, right? Um, not a lot of sympathy. Getting phone calls in my off time saying, "Where are you? What are you doing?" Right? It was really stressful. It was like this is not what I expected, and so I, I remember one story. A friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers, had hooked me up with a job at a marketing firm, and this was great. This was younger people. This was it looked sexy from the website, and they're they're working with like you know Virgin Records, and they're working with uh, all these big companies and these big names, and they have these big parties. It, it's just great, right? And it's, it's younger people. I, and I miss that social connection from university. You get into the working world and everything is hard. So, you know, so you're lonely. I'm lonely. Um, I'm not sure what's, what's happening in life. And I seem to be under a lot of stress between the driving and, and what it is. So I see this job and it's great. They interviewed me three times for, they use my logistics experience as warehouse manager. Uh, imagine a little office outside the airport 
Um, and uh, the idea is that they do infill marketing. I went there with all these big expectations and the boss, and when I got there, I quit within five days because it turns out their version of warehouse manager was essentially janitor, logistics professional, um, secretary, receptionist, uh, in an inbound outbound clerk, right? And even though I was doing all those key up, those were all essential to the process, but also I had to negotiate rates for truckers. And I was, all, I was only making, I took a pay cut for this from the previous gig I was doing at a call center because I thought this would be great. But it turns out uh, for the amount of money they were paying me, I was doing like the jobs of six people because they're marketers and just assumed that the warehouse person was a peon. Right. In addition to that long commute. So I found myself missing, you know, my, my girlfriend a lot. I was missing, um, what was I doing all this for? Right. And it really caused me to bring into question, what am I going to do for stuff? Right. For this building. Uh, so that was one of the first ones. Um, and, and so uh, long and the short of it was when my ex and I got married, um, I ended up going full-time at my previous logistics job. I, I held on to it, but I used up the vacation time. The team had changed. Um, I was now being bossed around by a 21 year old who just was a, was a sort of an acolyte of the new management that came in. We had a merger. And so she didn't know how to relate to people. So I'm going in stressed again, abused, feeling disrespected and underpaid. So I quit on our honeymoon. I took, the vac I took the vacation time and realized, you know what? I was looking at all the, the, the going back to work after that. I was like, how am I going to start a marriage like this? As I'm not happy. And so mm -hmm. I quit. I don't, that wasn't the best decision, but um, it then led to some more things. And so that, I think that set up the pretext for how our relationship ended up failing, frankly. So I, I am responsible for that. So a lot of this is just getting straight and authentic with, um, with what it is I really wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, how this got into the creative side. So all this time I'm doing, I'm writing teeny little short stories, not really thinking much of it. I'm reading great books, not really thinking much of it. <clears throat> and then um, I'm interviewing for new jobs at this point because I was totally unemployed. My girlfriend, she worked uh, part-time at a retailer, same, similar situation as me. She kept the job from high school. Right. But uh, she was never able to make enough money to do what she wanted. She wanted to get into teacher's college, never quite was able to get the grade average because in, in Ontario, the queue kind of filled up really quickly of people who had like straight A pluses mm. and amazing letters of reference. And she never had that. And so, but I was paying all the bills and trying to hold down everything for a few years because I said, listen, I'll support you trying to do this, right? This is your dream. I don't know what I want to do, right? Let's do it. And she never ended up doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when I quit, she was happy at first and then it came down to, okay, well now you have to find another job. Great. Um, she tried as well to her credit, but again, we're stuck in this working thing. It's like, how do you balance work and relationships? How do you, the trading of time for money, it turns out I value time. Yeah. I value the time. So what does that mean? How do you make that work? So in somewhere around 2006, I was coming back from a really, 2007 actually, I was coming back from um, a really bad interview with a pharmaceutical company where, you know that thing where you say the wrong thing and you immediately know you did <laughs> and the rest of the interview, she, you know, the body language of the, of the interviewer changes and you, you start, she, you know, she crosses her arms like this, like, oh, and you knew you lost it in that moment. So mm -hmm. that uh, took the wind out from, 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 from my sales because I had really hoped I would get it. It was, it was high pay. It seemed to be in line with what I 
thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. So driving back from that, I, I picked up my, my then ex-wife and um, she said, well, you know, you've talked about writing a book. Maybe it's time to write a book. And I thought, well, I had talked about it. And, um, you know, maybe this was the time. So I tried. So the first book was uh, a self-help. Um, I was reading a lot of motivational stuff, personal growth books, right? Like, uh, like Napoleon Hill and whatnot. So I decided that he interviewed rich people and wrote Think and Grow Rich. So I thought, I'm going to... Uh, I'd seen the term quarter life crisis and I was like, this seems to describe what I'm having. So why don't I interview some of my other friends and people that I know who are in that sort of age group and try to see what their perspectives are. Mm-hmm. So um, I try to find a, a positive spin on it. So my thesis was, yeah, let's interview them and then let's check back in six months because obviously six months is a long enough time to wait. And um, <laughs> at least it was my, my mindset at the time. So the book was called QLO, The Quarter Life Opportunity. And um, I initially looked at submitting it to publishers the traditional way. Um, but then I, but I didn't want to wait. When I saw how the publication process works traditionally, you know, you're, you're submitting, you're submitting, you're submitting probably for months or years. If you have a literary agent, first you've got to find one. That takes a while. Then they got to shop your book to the publishers. That takes a while. And then when you do get it, you might get it in advance. You might not. That takes a while. And then it takes another year or so. So it's like a year-long process to do that. But self-publishing, it just become a thing. So I, I, that's how I became an indie author. I did that. Um, but uh, it was around that time I was having those interviews and talking to, including my ex, she's in that book, um, that our relationship really started to fall apart. And so... Um, it's actually going on actually about 10 years uh, around this time actually is when we, we separated and then um, tried to make it work again and then it completely fell apart in January now around that time I was writing um, I'd had this idea you get ideas they kick around your head and if you don't do anything they stay there so you're out you're, you're, you're working a, another job and you go and you go to the water cooler and then boop, there's that idea again right there's that idea there's like the dialogue, there's that character, whatever. Didn't really do anything with it. Started to put something down on paper uh, the previous summer. And it was going to be a totally different story. And then when she and I split, the thing to understand is that I had, uh, she was my first and only to that point. Mm-hmm. And when you meet in high school, um, you spend, and then you go to university together and you live together the requisite skills meeting other women and knowing what to do you don't have it so suddenly if you're you know i'm 29 and could be on my own for the first time mm-hmm. and so i couldn't and then i'm working on the story i had to give it a rest because it was intended to be an inquiry into soulmates but uh it was supposed to, it was very academic up until the point that that happened to me and then going back to it about a month later when you know things were officially you know, stable, right? New, new apartment and uh, still settling into a new job, but this time with the province, with the government, I went back to the manuscript in my off hours and it was like, okay, this can't be the same deal. This can't be a, um, I can't just regurgitate new age aphorisms. Now I got to talk from experience, got to talk from heartbreak. And so that changed my character. Uh, My lead character was somebody who uh, initially he was in an unhappy relationship I changed it to him being single, but that with that uh, outstanding relationship in his past, right? Mm -hmm. That keeps it from doing things. And um, I changed uh, 
I changed my female protagonist, uh, who's, uh, who ended up becoming, um, initially she was, I started modeling her after the person I wanted, and I was putting too much of myself in there. So I thought, well, let's create her as a flexible, three-dimensional, you know, independent person with her own dreams, her own things, right? And that, that's what you need to do. Uh, male writers, I'm sure you've heard this uh, in your conversations, right? We, we, have, we struggle to write non you know, Psy had male characters, you know, with any type of authenticity, we keep thinking, we think of them as, as we think of women a lot of the time, and that's not how you do it. So I created a person um, independent of anything I wanted. And uh, the thing about divorce is uh, the emotional toll it takes on, it took on me anyway, is that you have really good days, you know, really bad days. I don't want to self-diagnose but the symptoms I compared it to at the time, I did, I did seek mental health, you know, mental support for that, mental health support uh, a little bit at the time. You should, you should through a big trauma. Um, but it felt very, very, lots of big highs, very happy highs that, hey, you know, this is, this is great. I'm suddenly free and some super lows because you think about how things work. So um, I found that I became, I had this sort of, manic energy at the end of the workday. Um, the government job was supposed to be the one for life because once again, I went back to my training, you know, like my mom. It's like, once you get a government job, you can do anything, hold on to it. But it was one of the worst jobs I ever had. I was unhappy. Uh, the branch itself was fairly, uh, it, was, it was obsolete, but the person who headed up the branch was just trying to hide that fact from people until uh, she can collect her pension. So we were doing busy work, right? Mm-hmm. but very serious busy work. <laughs> and so um, it became stressful. Uh, it became existentially stressful at this point because now I'm dealing with all this other stuff. It's like, what am I coming in here to do every day? Um, so I would go home and then when I, on my bad days, I grab my computer, go to a coffee shop and become that guy, you know, sitting there working on his book for four hours. But it was during states of upset a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me something to do. The rest, when I wasn't writing, I was running. I was, I was, uh, I was on the elliptical a lot of the time at, uh, at my gym. And yeah, it was a lot. Um, and uh, in that process, I, I had to recreate what it is that um, I saw in relationships um, and what I actually wanted. And I still don't know completely the answer to that. Um, but it did help me figure out, uh, it did help me heal a lot of what I'd just gone through. Right. Right. So, yeah. and it, it, I mean, that is a learning, learning process. Unfortunately, it takes some of us, you know, more years than others to figure out what, what exactly yeah. it is we want from life. Um, so yeah. I, I get it. It, it'll come. You know? Yeah, it does. And, it's uh, in layers. And yeah, it's like this onion that you peel apart. Right. And. To yeah, get to absolutely. And, and, and putting it into my story, it wasn't just the healing, uh, it wasn't just the act of making words that was it. It was, it, it was creating an authentic story. That's the relationship aspect. Um, the science fiction dimensions of it, the world building uh, kicked in a lot of the time where it's like suddenly I'm getting ideas that I didn't, I, I never would have imagined. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, it really was something. It opened up something. And when you write a novel, the good part is, is that the, you, you, the, when you go to start again to write your second one, you've got zero doubt that you can do it because you've already done it. Yes. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, one day I wrote 9,000 words in a marathon session of like four hours. It was just, wow. I yeah. just had it. Other days I was struggling to make my 2000. I, I was using Stephen King's 2000 words a day model. Right. Uh, to get it done. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry. I don't know if you wanted to pause if that's. Up to yeah. You. yeah. I, is that all right? I know you're in the middle of. I, I, don't, I can pause. Yeah. Okay. I would like to. Um, so for anyone who's watching this, uh, we're both in Canada and today we're uh, airing on, uh, sorry, we're recording on November 11th, which is Remembrance Day here in Canada. So we're just going to take a moment to pause and reflect on the people who lost so much for us to have so much. Oh, thank you for that, Jody. No, of course. Um, it, none of us would be here having that conversation, this conversation, if not, uh, if not for others who are gone. Yes, so absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. So yeah. it's something that's important to me. It's been so. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I used to go to yeah. the services when my kids were smaller because um, I thought it was really important for them to go. Um, but I have to say, I do usually take a moment of silence. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't usually go out. Uh, I've become a bit of a recluse since I started working home, especially, but, um, no, uh, I, but I do I like that. to make sure yeah. that they're remembered. And I, I often watch the um, services on online or else on TV. I, I know healing's a theme. If you, if you don't mind a small tangent, um, yeah. that same, so from the same time that we're talking about 2010, I went to a service. Uh, I was living in Burlington, Ontario, which is not far from here, um, right by the lake. And they did um, the service that they did there. A, um, I think he was a Franciscan um, monk had actually been invited as a guest, and he spoke about the. There's a Canadian cemetery outside of the city of Assisi, mm -hmm. and um, it turns out that uh, the Canadians had been had been instrumental in kind of keeping it and re not only retaking it, but then defending it. And uh, the, the Franciscans there had, um, they declared it. Um, I think they, they had taken the Jews in the, in the city and made them Catholic in the record. So that when the Nazis came, they, um, you know, they were, they were protected that way. And the Canadians were involved in that, but he, he talked about, he read a quote from the Bible. I don't remember it exactly, but it addressed the healing. He said there was a river, I think in this, in this thing and there was a he talked about imagery of a tree that bore fruit that was that would help the healing of the nations and i thought this is such a great thing because we talk about the battles we talk about the people's the people lost but we then ended up thinking more about it about what what was it for and i think that's something right i we we, we have a day like this to heal mm -hmm. the storytelling so I, I just i think it's interesting to to kind of make note on a on, in a conversation about creative healing and storytelling, that's, that's what this is, is also about. Yes, so pretty, no, that, that's cool. excellent. 
Yeah. That's another highlight I remember that time in my life, uh, writing this book and then going to that. Because I think I, I went immediately afterward to more writing um, on my own book after that. So it's, it's, stuck, it's, it's weird, the things that stick in your head, you know? Um, it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Often we don't realize the profoundness of a small moment. Right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Until... Yeah. So I've, um, I could talk a lot, but um, I'm sure you have other questions. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that writing is your favorite creative healing modality. So mm -hmm. what is a, a creative way that you use writing to help you heal? Uh, I use a technique I learned uh, around this time, once again, called proprioceptive writing. Um, it's been a while since I've done it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's been a few months now since I've journaled properly. I've just been really busy. How it works, um, it's a technique that's taught by, it, it was taught by somebody who wrote a book on it, um, a psychologist who had um, found that this was something that worked. So proprioceptive writing is journaling where you pause to question your own understandings of what your words mean. Proprioception refers to the notion that you know that a part of your body belongs to you. So like this is, I know that this is my hand, right? Um, and uh, what happens sometimes in certain disorders is that you, you actually will look at your own hand and not feel that it's yours. You can move it, the neurons are still firing, everything is, is there, but it doesn't feel like it belongs to you somehow. So it's considered a disorder. And so this person had said that there's a, there's a healing process that involves um, taking the proprioception concept and applying it to aspects of your own psyche, um, your own experiences where you've disowned parts of yourself that you think are ugly um, or where you have certain assumptions about yourself and about the world that you feel disconnected from where actually it's part of you. So proprioceptive writing goes something like this. This is a very bare bones technique. Say you're writing in your journal, Oh, well, you know, today, you know, today I'm, uh, I'm not feeling too great. And then you pause. What does great mean? So then the next sentence becomes by great, I mean, and then you think you're, you're encouraged to, to think deeper into your own thought process. Um, and it, it's, it's wonderful kind of guided journal writing, self-guided, but it has um, the, what you end up doing is that you end up, we talked about tangents at the beginning you end up taking yourself on a number of tangents where you may have set out to write about, oh, you know, talk to mom and um, I didn't really like this thing that she said. And then it ends up not being about mom, but being about um, something that involves no one, no one else, something that maybe, maybe where you, where you end up in this chain of what do you, you know, what does great mean? And then you say mm -hmm. great means uh, positive, but what does positive mean? And then you, you, you drill deeper. You may end up a totally different spot than where you started, but you've taken, uh, but you have a deeper understanding of your own thinking, and so it creates a type of uh, connection or proprioception in terms of um, that these thoughts belong to you, that these feelings belong to you. Right. And when you have that ownership, uh, that's that can be very healing, um, if uh, especially if you've been through something horrible. Right. So that was um, that's one technique that I use. Um, storytelling now. Um, so. Um, sort of using my book as a, my, my book convergence as an example, right? Um, the plot ended up being healing. So the, depending on how you plot out the stories, there's a bit of there's a bit of you in every one of your characters, and it, it sounds trite by now, or everyone says something like that, but it's it's true. Uh, so you want you're going to experience the catharsis that your characters do. So 
in order to do that, uh, so my plot involves bringing people together and overcoming obstacles to do that. And it's not just, but then it, in my own reflection about my own relationship, the idea that another person completes you is one of the most romantic and yet damaging concepts that we have, right? Where, you know, uh, cause then if they don't, if they're not there for you, you're incomplete. And what do you, and what does that mean? You can't function, you can't do certain things, you can't be. And um, I realized that if I'm gonna bring them together, it's not necessarily about them completing each other, but it's about the possibilities that they open up for a life and a future mm-hmm. that can only happen if they're together, right? It's like you can't get, uh, it's almost chemical. It's like you can't get uh, table salt without sodium and chloride, you know, chlorine coming together somehow, right? Yeah. Together they do something, but salt doesn't become possible if they're separate. I mean, it, it does in other ways, but it's a bad example off the top of my head, but you get the idea, yeah. right? Um, and, and so the, it has to be something that is more than the sum of its parts, but that each of the parts can still remain whole together, like sorry, whole on its own. Uh, each of the people can be whole people on their own. Um, so the plotting uh, in my creative writing stories helps for that, as well as um, creating characters that seem to be symbolic of uh, something that's going on in my head all the time. So one of my uh, one of my friends um, had told me that she sees uh, she's like this. There's so much of you in the story, but it has. You look at the characters at face value; it has nothing to do with me. They don't, they don't even look that way, and I think that's. Uh, She's talking about the conversations that we have or the, that I have or the, the topics that preoccupy me. Um, that's, uh, that, that's how I use creative writing for that. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you be able to send me just a little excerpt about that journaling process that you were talking about? Sure. I'll add that on the page as well for people who are interested in sort of, I, I think that's a really fascinating way to delve a little deeper in your journaling. Of course, I'll I'll go and find the uh, I'll, I'll see if I could do you one better if you if if you can wait a day or two I'm gonna go look for, through my old books and see if I could find it um, and then uh, I could give you the author as well oh. and then I'll show you and then then I could do a little bit about how I go about it so mine is not necessarily I'm not doing it purely as instructed but uh, mm-hmm. they said to adapt it as you needed it that's how I did it yeah so I, I can find that for you absolutely yeah absolutely that would be great so what would you consider your greatest accomplishment to date. Uh, rescuing my dog. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here, here's that story. Uh, a few years after I wrote my book, I got involved in a writer's group. There was a, a friend there who would also, she was also struggling with a divorce. And so we connected for a while. And during that time, uh, she had a, a, you know, there's no comparing traumas. I mean, everyone's, it's horrible, but she did have children to deal with and I didn't. And so um, it was particularly difficult for her. So we, we were there for each other quite a bit. During that time, she had, she'd had two dogs and she rescued, sorry, she, she adopted this little puppy, um, you, know, my, you know, this little puppy named Bella. Um, little dog looks like Snoopy. It's really cute. She's a blue tick beagle cross. And so um, I ended up, I think it was that, that summer, I think it was 2013 or 2014, ended up dog sitting for her, right, a number of times. So Bella and I really, really, really bonded. Mm-hmm. But two dogs, three kids, a divorce, you know, and, and she lives in the States. So it was, there's international things and strung out court dates, very stressful for her. Um, she couldn't keep Bella because Bella is a very high energy dog. So uh, she ended up, I couldn't take her. I had moved home with my parents after my divorce. And um, um, or after I'd written the book, actually, it's like when I finished it, then I ended up going home. It was like this completion all around. 
Mm-hmm. And um, no dogs were allowed there, so I couldn't take Bella. So she gave her up, unfortunately. But six weeks later, I got a call from her saying, you know, crap, they can't take her and they're going to take her back and I can't take her back. So I intervened at that point. Um, I had, yeah, you have to understand, I had no plan. I was, this was my first summer in ghostwriting. I did have one client, but it wasn't nearly enough. Like at the time that I made the commitment, it wasn't enough to pay rent to, to move back out again. So, and I, I this, and, and Bella being my first dog, uh, you know, she, I had no, I had to learn everything about dog ownership and how to take care of a dog. So I had to significantly, I had set the goal of having a house somehow um, and paying for it my own. I had to, there's no choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing seminars at the time, uh, like personal growth seminars. So I had a big community of people who were, I made a lot of new friends. I basically went to work. Um, first I had to go, I had to take care of Bella, but I can't take her home. So I found somebody, somebody very generously offered my friend Kim and Whitby offered to foster her. Um, now this is where I have to give a tip of the hat to the universe because this is one of those strange spooky things because just, I put it out on Facebook saying, can anyone foster a dog for me? Um, cause I didn't have somebody lined up and they backed out literally the day before I had to go pick her up. And so I was just like, okay, this has got to happen. Can somebody help me? Mm-hmm. So I get a message back within three hours from, from my friend Kim and she's just like, so we could, we, we'd love to look after her, but you know, what's really funny. I was just telling my husband the other day, that uh, I want our kids to have the experience of having a dog, but I don't know if we're ready to commit to one yet. I wish somebody would let us borrow their dog for a few months. And then I saw your post. So it's like, okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, so she took her. And so the deal was I would go out to uh, go across town twice a week to spend the day with Bella and uh, take care of her and stuff. Uh, I think I stayed over um, near Christmas holidays once because they were going on vacation to Florida as a long plan. And I said, okay, well you could house it for us and you could take care of Bella. That's the deal. I had to go and suddenly become a salesman for my ghostwriting work. Um, ghostwriting came about because I wasn't making money selling fiction. I didn't as yet have a way to do that as an, as an indie author, but apparently I found out people were willing to pay you to write their books for them. So that was really great. Um, you know, it's still their ideas, but you're doing the hard work of actually taking it and putting it down for them. It is the hard work. Let me tell you, is, yeah. I've been writing mine for quite a while. Oh yeah. It's, it's tough, right? Writing books is, yeah. is, is, is really challenging. And so, um, I found a couple of clients who did that just kind of roundabout ways. And then, um, the seminar also required me to make stops in New York city and Philadelphia four times during the course of that, of that very intensive course. Mm-hmm. So I had to find money for that. And, um, I managed, I just managed to do it. It was strange how everything was kind of falling together, but it was, it was like intentional action. Mm-hmm. And, um, in terms of the house, I came back from one of those trips to a meeting with some, some colleagues of mine and they said, well, guess what? Uh, I, I didn't, I had not told them I needed a house yet. They said, uh, but they were looking, we had a little mastermind group trying to find ways to make more money. And so when I was away, they had their meeting and they met me for coffee on my way back in. They said, okay, well, what we decided was uh, we're going to have, uh, somebody wants to um, buy a house to rent out, but we need to, we, we have, we can find a house real easy, but we don't have a tenant. So do you know anybody? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, and they knew me, they trusted me, they knew that I would take care of the place and, and, and not ruin it. So long story short, over the course of five months, from when I committed to, to rescuing this pup, 
uh, to when I ended up in a house on my own with clientele, um, I was a different person at the other side of it. And so I did more in those six months, I think, than I have in most times of my life. And you know what? Um, I still had, uh, oh, I ended up in a relationship at that point too. So it was like, I, I got a girlfriend somewhere along the way. It was really amazing. Um, so for a while there, it was really great, you know, and life has ups and downs. And now obviously I've moved on to, to different, you know, different house, but Bella's with me all the time. Yeah. So um, that's the, that's sort of the proudest accomplishment I've had because this one little adorable pup um, is now a completely spoiled princess who likes to, who likes to bark and demands that I pet her, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. If if you could change one aspect of our society through your work, what would it be? Oh, it's a really good one, especially for a science fiction writer. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Um, Well, I'll answer that in two parts. So as a ghost writer, um, I've recently decided to align myself with people who are out there doing good. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great personal development work out there, for example, that has tended to be my niche. There's also a lot of self-indulgent personal development work where it's only about you and about the yacht that you want to have and the mansion and the money, but not necessarily about what you're going to do with it afterwards. So um, I want to, I've already helped. uh, So one of my clients and I I can't disclose my clients, unfortunately. um, Well, I mean, it's it's part of the job, but um, was somebody who went from being an IT tech support person to being a, a women's empowerment coach over 40, thanks to the book that uh, we were able to write together, mm-hmm. um, in large part because she had a biography that involved a fair bit of heartbreak, a fair bit of abuse, but also a desire to do good. And so it was a, it was a really great alignment. It was, it was a wonderful project. And so now she's, she's living this totally different life and giving hope to people who've been through something awful. That's what I like. Um, so for my ghostwriting, I align with people. It doesn't have to be self-help either. It could be entrepreneurship. So you've got a vision for something. You've got a, a manifesto for how to change how we do tech or something, right? I don't know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, but it's without ego. You, want it, you actually have a contribution at the core. So that's how I would do it with ghostwriting. For my creative writing, what I would love, <laughs> that's where you got me actually. I gave you the ghostwriting one first because I, I, don't, I don't quite have a ready-made answer for the second one. Let me, let me think on the spot. Uh, okay, so that principle of pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of living a really pleasurable life and then giving that to as many people as possible. If I could tell a story that lets you do that, um, then that would be a wonderful change. To say that somehow leads to, like I'm, I'm a I'm fairly progressive guy on the, on the spectrum to a point, I think um, the idea that we, we don't have a basic income, for example, is something that I think is something we, we should look into. Not just no, nothing extravagant, but just so that you're not out on the street during weather like this, right? You know, um, and you can have a decent meal uh, just to get you just to get you started and 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 figuring out your own way. Mm-hmm. If I it, and I think storytelling with a message, I from I, I call it message-driven storytelling in my own practice uh, is essential because you're showing people what it could look like and bypassing all of their biases, their political affiliations, the stuff that they've been reading or watching on the news. Right. Right. Um, and really showing them what it, what, what the experience is like with some empathy for the people in it, not just beating them over the head with being preachy about, well, you gotta take care of your neighbor, you know, you know there's a different way to go about it. So 
Um, that's that's how I would like one of my stories. And in, in, in an ideal future, I've written something that leads to a policy change that helps people. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What strength-based inspirational advice would you give someone uh, who's struggling in any way? What do you mean by strength-based? Let me let me make sure I answer you properly. Yeah. Like something, I guess inspiring is is more uh, important than the strength base. So like something inspiring that would help them maybe change okay, yeah. a position that they're in or. Okay, I got one. Um, set an impossible goal that excites you where you have zero idea how you're going to get it. So um, here's, here, here's something. So I'm in a freelance community you know, on Facebook where we support each other, we, we trade, you know, tips and tricks and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. it occurred to me, we had a conversation a, a while back where just making enough to pay the bills doesn't necessarily bring in the money you need to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. It seems strange, but it's based on this musket principle, like, like fire, like, like basically a firearms principle of aim small, miss small. Yeah. Right. So, Whereas, um, like, you just don't get excited enough to take on a project that pays you just enough. Um, and so I'm using a freelance model, but take this with regards to anything, relationships or health or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you set a, the, the ridiculous goal I have set for myself now, and I've, I've started talking about it more openly, is that I would love to buy a house in, with cash, right? A particular neighborhood, uh, a particular type of house and pay for it in cash. Mm -hmm. I'm doing okay as a ghostwriter, but I'm not doing that okay presently, right? Um, I have no idea if I can even get it through ghostwriting. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe it requires me buying a scratch ticket at some point, but I don't know how it's going to come about. But that notion of setting a goal that's utterly impossible, seemingly utterly impossible, but that still excites the crap out of you, um, it gives you something to reach for. So you beyond your need circumstances. Um, when I had, um, so my, my Paris trip recently was a micro example of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd had the opportunity over the summer to go and, um, through work, right. Somebody was, uh, you know, a prospective client that said that we're going to be in Paris. I didn't have to go. We could have a zoom call just like this. Right. Yeah. But they said they're going to be around there in this time and maybe we can meet because they didn't know anything about me. And so I, I'm not going to say too, too much about the project. It is done, but it's still ghostwriting. Yeah. But I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll just go. Right. So, um, I booked the ticket, um, on credit on a gamble that I could, that, that it would pay off. And it did. Um, but for those six weeks leading up to the trip, I was a different person than I was before. Now I'm the person who can, cause freelancing, you're right. We stay, you, you mentioned before you could stay home and we could be insular and it's nice and cozy, especially in the winter time. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as we know up here. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but but now I know myself to be that person that can take a trip and and do work there. And frankly, Paris was so amazing and transformative. The next time I'm just going to go for pleasure, not bring my computer. But right now I know that it, now I know that I'm capable of doing it. For those so for those six weeks, I met more people. I made more connections. Um, I got a I started really getting clear, and I had story ideas. So it's like before I even went, I had story ideas, and it's coming back. That's a, that project I mentioned in bio, that's what I'm working on currently. Mm -hmm. I'm mapping it out. I don't even know what form it's going to take, but that came from there. So how do you apply this if you're, say, you know, in, di in different areas of life, if you're in a relationship, well, 
just seem to be happy. That might, it doesn't have to be, it may seem impossible for you to be happy. And that can take the form of anything. So um, I'm a food enthusiast, right? So I love, you know, I love cooking. Maybe, you know, you, you end up giving yourself permission to do what makes you happy. Mm. A lot of people have been through really hard, it's really bad breakups, punish themselves for it. Um, so it's whatever really works for you, right? Um, it's aiming for that seeing it's aiming for, it's like, it's like the moon landing. Set a goal like at a time and you have no idea how you're going to do it. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Yeah create your own moon landing project or whatever it is. I love that actually. I can yeah. picture the moon now and, and the goals yeah. and written on it. That's yeah, well, think about that. Like, 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 uh, I, 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 I don't want, I want to be respectful of your time, but this is actually a really good one. So JFK, I'm going to, I'm an Apollo program. Not so okay. I, I was such a geek about it um, because it excited me. Like when I'm learning about this, I'm just like from 1961 where Kennedy made that speech at Rice University to when they actually landed and everything that the Soviets did to keep up, right? Mm -hmm. Industries, entire industries and technologies hadn't even been invented yet that no one could have pictured. A lot of which are still with us today because the way that he phrased it was, right, you have a clear objective, you, have a, you know it's lofty, and you have a deadline. And yeah. so, and you have, but you have, at the time that you're saying it, you have no idea how it's gonna work, right? <laughs> So it's, it's got a, it scares the crap out of you and excites you at the same time. They're both the same feeling in a lot of ways. So, yeah. um, and in the process of doing that, you will get stronger. Um, and as with anything, you don't need to see the entire, you know, the, 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 all the self-help cliches of you only need to see the 200 feet ahead of you, or you don't need to see the entire staircase. Just take the first step, all of these things. Mm -hmm. That's where you, you experience it. So um, yeah. Look beyond where you're at and go for it. I love that. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, so one last question. What mm -hmm. inspirational quote sums up your life journey? Um, do you know what? I, so there's one that recently um, came about. I'm actually going to Google it as we're talking because I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's from uh, one of my heroes, unfortunately, uh, who passed away, Anthony Bourdain. Um, so he had, as far as I could tell, the best job in the world, right? Um, I don't know if you watched any of his shows or anything, but... Um, I don't think they have, no. No, no so he was a chef uh, who had written a book in, at 44 years old, right? And he had essentially uh, gotten, he'd given up on traveling. He'd given up on being anything other than a fry cook. He hadn't paid his credit card in months, years actually. And so um, he ended up getting uh, quite a wonderful life uh, as a travel TV host and um, somebody who's also authentic, like you would not believe. Right. Mm -hmm. So his quote that he, that he says that, that um, really lights me up lately is um, maybe that's enlightenment enough to know that there is no final resting place of mind, no moment of smug clarity. Perhaps wisdom is realizing how small I am and unwise and how far I have yet to go. That's and, a great one. Yeah, and that's, that's where I've, um, every stage I've been at in my own journey has been like that. Um, every time I, I have, I've, I've learned humility to some degree still mm -hmm. learning it um because every time i go too far i get knocked on my ass it's just like a, like something happens so <laughs> i'm figuring i'm still figuring things out i don't have it all figured out but 
Yeah. Um, at some point, I look around and realize that everything that I've got at some point is what I was dreaming about. That's you know somewhere down the line, yeah. in the past. So um, yeah, I'm gonna gonna see how far the gonna see how far this is gonna go. Who knows where it's gonna end up? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's about following your dream, right? So yeah, and sticking to it, and and knowing that there's gonna be failure and there's gonna be growth, and and just keep going, keep going. Yeah. 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 Get knocked down and get back up, however long it takes you. That's right. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much, Jody. This was, it was great to listen to you. You're a great storyteller. So that was really awesome. <laughs> the rest of, thank, you so, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.